please open your Bibles to Proverbs 16. We'll have a Christmas sermon next week, but this week it's Proverbs. And to get us to think about this passage, I'd like to talk for a minute about baseball. Baseball can provide metaphors for life. The Major League Baseball season is long. It begins April 1st and ends mid-September. The season has lots of ups and downs, but the capstone of the season is the World Series. After a team wins the top prize, coaches and players and journalists try to explain how the team reached that ultimate goal in baseball. And often, they'll talk of the character of the team. They didn't give up, even though a long losing streak plagued them mid-season. They encouraged their teammates who struggled. They defended each other in the media when they failed. They didn't blame other people, but took personal responsibility. They didn't listen to what people said in the news or social media, but day to day stuck to doing what needed to be done to win games. And as the story goes, it was the day to day habits that paved the way to the World Series. And that's the point of our passage today. It's how you end that matters. And how you live day to day is what gets you there. Let me say that again. It's how you end that matters. And how you live day to day is what gets you there. That's, this is why the writer of Ecclesiastes says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. At a funeral, you see a life in its totality. At a wedding, it's all promise and future. While weddings are wonderful, funerals are instructive. It's how you end that matters. So let's read, beginning in Proverbs 16, verse 31. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Better a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. A servant who deals wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share in the inheritance as one of the brothers. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests hearts. An evildoer listens to wicked lips and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker he who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, 
and the glory of children is their father's. How do we put that together? You'll notice right away that the first verse and the last are very similar. Gray hair and grandchildren speak to living to old age. Each verse uses the metaphor of a crown. Each verse refers to glory, or we could translate that word splendor, that comes at the end of a righteous life. Now, you may not be aware that the Bible was not written in chapters and verses. They began to add chapters and verses to the Bible around 800 years ago. So the chapter break from chapter 16 to 17 is not from the person or persons who compiled the book of Proverbs. What the ancient writers did was they would use other clues to show you sections in their writing. And one of the ways they did this, I'm going to give you a technical word, you can bring this up in your next care group, is the word inclusio. An inclusio. One verse starts a new topic, and then later, the same topic is echoed in a similar words or images to conclude the section. So it seems that the compiler of these verses intended for us to interpret what comes in the references to old age and grandpas in the context of those two verses. So the verses that come in the middle speak to what comes at the beginning and the end. So that's how we're going to interpret the passage today. How does the wisdom of the middle verses contribute to gaining a crown of glory in old age? So let's go back again and look at verse 31. We're going to look at these, each verse in a little bit of detail. Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. If you read the first half of the verse alone, you'd think that if you live long enough, long enough so that your hair goes gray, you should get credit for it and a crown on your head. But when you read the second half, you see that the crown that gets placed on a gray head is the accumulated splendor of a righteous life. Now, the version we're reading, the English Standard Version, misses something I think very important here in the translation. Verse 31, the second half, literally said, says, it is gained in the way of a righteous life. It's gained in the way of a righteous life. As we've gone through Proverbs, Devon has stressed that we must see our lives as a journey. We are on a way, on a road with its many twists and turns, with weather making it hard or easy to travel. How we act on our way as we travel the road determines the kind of person that we become. So we have here in verse 31, a life that walks in the way of righteousness. And that life will end with the person who walked that way being recognized as beautiful or honorable as someone wearing a splendid crown. The crown only goes to the old person who has walked in the way of the righteous. There are 
plenty of old fools in the Bible, and we have met many in our own lives. There is no crown for them. Now, when we look at a righteous life earns you this crown, you might think, well, I think we have a theological problem here. If you know your New Testament and its theology, you may think that this means that God counts us as righteous because of our works. So we need to look at how the Bible uses the word righteous, because the Bible uses the word righteous in two different but complementary ways. The first is the gift of righteousness. When we come to faith, we realize that God has made us righteous in His sight forgiving our sins through the death of His Son. We are then really righteous before God because we are in Christ. When God looks at us, He sees the righteousness of Christ. It's nothing we can earn. In that state of gifted righteousness, something wonderful happens. We begin to act like God's Son because we are righteous, we act righteous. And that is the stuff of a righteous life. We still sin, but when we sin, we get back up and try again. So the gift of righteousness produces a righteous character out of which comes righteous deeds. When these deeds accumulate over a lifetime, the people around that person see him as glorious. His deeds reflect a character that shines out to everyone who knows him. So in Proverbs, the words justice and righteous are usually viewed in the context of how we treat others. We could summarize the impact of a person who does just and right deeds by saying that righteousness builds healthy community, and justice restores broken community. So a righteous life is a life that's building a healthy community of the people around him. So now, what we're going to see in the next seven verses is how does that righteous life play out? What are some of the characteristics of that righteous life? And so verse 32 Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. It takes more power to rule over your own inner life than it does to direct the army, uh, to direct an army in assaulting a city. Someone provokes you to anger. They insult you. They break a promise. They slander you. Your immediate impulse is to react with harsh, angry words, even with violence. If you are righteous, you restrain those impulses. Anger may be appropriate, but how you vent or keep from venting your anger will make a huge difference. So Bruce Waltke writes, The foundation of his righteousness is his ability to rule his unruly spirit when provoked. So this crown 
that comes to the gray head requires that he lives a life of restraint of his impulses toward anger. Now we come to verse 33. Read that with me. The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. This is building on verse 32. Just because you can rule your inner reaction to things doesn't mean that you are in control of the situation. Your trust must be in God's sovereignty. Now, this is not giving advice to cast lots. It's using what we might call the roll of the dice to make vivid the often seemingly random events of life. We are to do the right thing, guided by the Word, guided by the Spirit, by prayer. And when it seems like we've done everything we know to do, and done it best we can tell, righteously, still things may not turn out the way we want. A righteous person trusts that God will work His ways even through the random events of life. And now we come to the next verse. Building a righteous life. 17 verse 1. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Now here you have a choice, a better than choice. You can pursue wealth and pleasure at the, at the expense of relationship. Or You can deny yourself money and pleasure and sit down over a meal of dry toast with those you love and who love you. The righteous person puts relationship ahead of gaining wealth and spending it on his pleasures. When you place money and fun over building right relationships, you get conflict in the relationships you do have. And then verse 2, a servant who deals wisely will rule over a son who acts shamefully and will share the inheritance as one of the brothers. So here we have a wise servant and a shameful son. Now, you've got to understand, in the ancient world, every business was a family business. The family business was intended to be handed down from father to his sons. The family business also employed servants who helped in the business, but they only received their wages. They were not owners of the business. But what do you do if you have a servant who works like he is an owner? And what if you have a son who extracts wealth from the family business, but puts nothing back into it? A son who is lazy, a son who does the minimum, the son who presumes that one day he'll inherit his share so it doesn't matter how he works today. The wise father will show discretion in how he leaves his property to others. He'll reward those who've sacrificed to enhance the family's property. And he'll withhold property from someone who knows will only continue to squander it. And so after the father dies, his servant ends up in management over a lazy son. 
A righteous life works hard for the good of others. Now verse 3. The crucible for silver and the furnace is for gold. And the Lord tests hearts. The Lord knows our inner condition better than any other person. Even better than a man knows himself. And with that knowledge, the Lord tests our hearts in a way that is comparable to how silver and gold are refined. And that's a really intense picture. When drawn from the earth, silver and gold are rarely pure. So the miner must heat these metals in a container called a crucible until they become liquefied. I read what temperature they become liquefied. Uh, Let's just say it's really, really hot. When he does this, the other elements in the mine's rock, whatever it is, they're lighter than the precious metal. And so they float to the top of the liquid. And then he skims off this dross. And when he removes the heat, the metal cools and hardens, and it's pure. A righteous person lives a life that allows the Lord to purify him in the heat of difficulty. I've had conversations with numbers of you where you will say, that trial was terrible, but I learned So much. God changed my outlook on life through that difficult time. A righteous person sees that the financial setback, the bad news from the doctor, the lost job, the damaged reputation, the difficult child, the disagreements with his wife, all of these are under the control of his God and are intended to make his inner life, his character, pure and precious. That's how the Lord works in difficulty. And now verse 4. An evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Listening to a lie is the moral equivalent to speaking the lie. Ha! That's a hard one. Now, listening here is more than having something come to your attention. It means you listen and agree with it. Or you know it's false. If you know it's false, you know it has evil intent, and you're able to talk back to resist both the falsehood and the evil person speaking it. Of course, this is impossible to do with the news media, and it's unlikely it ever happens in social media. But how we react to lies shapes our character. Derek Kidner, Derek Kidner has a wonderful small commentary on Proverbs I'd recommend to you all. He has a way of saying things that capture their essence and he writes, evil words die without a welcome. 
and the welcome gives us away. <laughs> the way of righteousness is the way of rejecting evil speech when it comes to your attention. And then verse 5, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. He who is glad at calamity will not go unpunished. The poor are defenseless before men and women who hold power. But the one who created that poor person not only sees the mistreatment, God takes it personal. That's me you're mocking. The poor are mocked and rejected for their shabby or out-of-date dress, their unkempt, falling-down house, their poor health, poor diet, their lack of social refinement, not knowing which fork to use for the salad, their lack of education, lack of friends and defenders. The righteous person sees their plight and seeks to alleviate it. He does not look down and mock or sneer as if his wealth is a result of his righteousness. He agrees with his maker that there is a wrong to be righted here. And so he shows compassion and does something about it. He doesn't take pleasure in others' disaster. And that leads us to the conclusion of this passage. Verse 6. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. Now, this is not saying that if your children produce children, you will be seen as just a wonderful person. Making babies... There are 8 billion of us alive in the world right now, so we can say that making babies comes naturally to the human race. <laughs> the test comes in seeking to form those young humans into faithful adults. In the context of this passage, grandchildren who walk in the righteousness of their father and grandfather become an amplification of the righteous way of life the old person has walked in. And if you look at Proverbs chapter 1 verse 8 or chapter 4 verses 3 and 4, this would not only include fathers but mothers and grandmothers as well. Now, raising children is a long an often arduous process. And for a lot of you sitting here, you're saying you're not telling me anything. <laughs> Nancy and I often reminded each other when we were in the thick of it that reward for our efforts would not be in how well they obeyed us on that day, or how many awards they won at school or on the athletic field. The reward would be if, as adults, they walked in the ways of righteousness and wisdom, and they passed that on to their children. And that's the direction this verse takes us. The second half of the verse shows that it works both ways. A grandchild who walks in the way of righteousness becomes a splendid crown for his grandparents, and the same can be said for a wise father. 
a wise mother. His children bask in the beauty of his and their mother's righteous life. Children here, you probably are unaware of how blessed you are to have the parents that you do. And you should look at that and say, you know, my parents, yeah, they don't always get it right. They can seem kind of dumb a lot of the time. But they're a gift to me. And you, you, should, you should see that. Not everybody gets that. And so we end where we began. A righteous way of life will end in admiration that becomes a crown to the gray head who walked in wisdom throughout his life. And his influence will not only be in his words and deeds along the way, but his influence on his children and grandchildren. Okay, so I, I think I've laid out the passage, but we've got a lot of work left to do here. Here's a question. To whom is this passage addressed? Is this for old people? Is that why it's written here? If you're like me, and you are aged, you realize that your youth and your most productive years have been spent, and you find yourself increasingly interacting with ologists, cardiologists, rheumatologists, urologists, oncologists, each one of them forcing you to confront your mortality. <laughs> we old people face the challenges that come from looking back, not like the young couple on their wedding day looking forward. For us, life now is spent increasingly looking in the rearview mirror. We face the challenges of recalling our own past failures and our disappointments and resentments with those who failed us. We have a different set of challenges and a different focus when it comes to walking in righteousness. There is a way to peace, but that is not what this passage is about. This passage is for those of you who are looking forward, looking forward to adulthood, to marriage, to child rearing, to establishing a career, to seeing children married. That's who this passage is for. This book was written originally for young men. That's who it was written for. And so, if you are young, you need to think like this. It's how you end that matters. And how you live day to day is what gets you there. If you're here and you're 12 years old, you live in a society that treats you like a child till you're like 25. But you don't have to be that way. You can think about your life as a whole. And you can practice things day to day. Practice the things that are in the five verses in the heart of this 
chapter, the seven things in the heart of this chapter. Practice those things and build a life of righteousness while you're going to school, while you're playing ball, while you're participating in the club or the music group. You can begin to develop a character that one day people will say, she lived a long life. He lived a long life. And look at the fruit of that life in the lives of other people. If you want to live a righteous life, you have to pursue that righteousness today. You must rule your inner spirit when angered. You must trust God when absurd hardships confront you. You must give yourself to building a harmonious family and community. You must work hard and treat your responsibilities like you are an owner, not a hired wage slave. You must embrace hardship as God's personal work to refine you. You must reject the words of slanderers and liars. You must care for those who have less than you. Defend the defenseless and not take advantage of those weaker than you. And when you fail, you get back up and try again. A righteous life is not attained through great deeds. Uh, think about that for a minute, because we live in a world where we honor the great accomplishments, the great deeds, the MVP of the World Series. But that's not a righteous life. A righteous life is gained through daily deeds done in humility, with love for others, even at your own expense. It's a life that's not consumed with present joys and pleasures, but with the generations you can see coming up behind you. Do you see that? How you live today makes a big difference on how you'll end up. And if you give yourself to the things the world gives itself to, that becomes your primary focus. You won't be able to fulfill the heart of this passage. So go for it today. Now, I want to conclude because what, what Proverbs does, I've spent an enormous amount of time in this book in my lifetime. And what this book typically does is it's, it's challenging to really think about yourself in a light of a lot of this. If you're like me, you are more prone to see your failures in this text than your successes. Or if you're young, they just seem too distant to be real. You know, I'll never be an adult. I'm going to be in the ninth grade for the rest of my life. Or maybe you never married or were unable to have children. Where does that leave you? Where does this passage leave you? Now, I think through the preaching that you've received in this church over the last 10 years, you know that the Old Testament and the New Testament form one book. And they speak with one 
message. And as with Old Testament passages, they point. The wisdom about making a good life through daily righteous actions affecting your children and grandchildren is all true, but there is a bigger truth, and that truth regards the crown of righteousness we see in chapter 16, verse 31. That crown points to a greater crown. Now, to get at this, how that works, we begin with Jesus. How does Jesus measure up to this passage in Proverbs? He never married or had children. But when you look at him in light of the seven verses that form the heart of our text, you can say that he walked the path of righteousness. Even those who hated him could find nothing wrong with him. At his trial, no one could produce evidence that Jesus was corrupt. And they tried, and they were willing to settle for a lie if that would just get Jesus convicted. Quoting Matthew 26, Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. But they found none. So they turned him over to the Roman governor, Pilate, After examining Jesus, Pilate told the Jewish rulers and their mob, as John records it, I find no guilt in him. So you begin and continue on the path of righteousness by being joined to the one who lived life in this world, no different than the world you live in, and yet he never sinned. And so you begin on the path by receiving the gift of righteousness. And in the joy of that gift, you seek to imitate the one who gave his life for you to receive it. So if you are young, you can work for the crown of the gray heads by living in and out of the gift of righteousness that Jesus offers you. And if you are old... You can live with the knowledge that all your sins are forgiven sins and all your regrets are swallowed up in the ocean of His love. We cannot earn righteousness. Not the righteousness of God. Not the standard that Jesus set. We can't earn that We cannot earn children who walk in our ways or grandchildren who treat us well. The wisdom of the aged is that all we did well, we did by grace. It was all a gift. And any good that comes from it also came to us as a gift from our gracious Father. The wisdom of the young is to see Jesus to embrace by faith His gift of righteousness, to live for Him as He lived, losing yourself and loving Him, and then turning to love others in all the small ways that come to you day to day. There is a crown of righteousness promised to us all. And that's where this text ultimately points us if we've put our trust in Jesus. The last letter we have of the Apostle Paul was written when he was an old man, 
a gray head. And he was contemplating his death as he wrote to his friend Timothy. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me, here it is, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. This is the crown we're all aiming for. Not the crown of reputation. Not the crown of children or grandchildren. Those things are good. They're a gift. They're a blessing. That's not our aim. Shouldn't be your aim. Aim should be to gain the crown of righteousness that comes from Jesus as a gift. It's that that will keep us in the fight. It's that that will keep us on the road. It is that which will keep us in the faith and make us faithful. So whether you are seven or seventy, this is the way that Jesus laid out for us in the book of Proverbs. It is a way that is grounded in His very life. We live by faith. We obey by faith. And in the end, we get a crown and He gets the glory. Please pray with me. Lord, as, as I prepared this sermon, I was concerned that we not slip into a legalistic mindset that says that we can earn anything from You. And so I pray, Lord, that we would see these texts as good and things to be pursued, but with the understanding that all that we do that is in the direction of Your righteousness, in the direction of Your good law, all the things that we do are because we've already received a gift. And it's hard for us, it's hard for us, Lord, to understand this gift of righteousness that comes through Christ because our hearts want to earn. And so we pray, Lord, that you would so fill us with an awareness of Jesus and His love for us and His obedience for us and His death for us and His resurrection for us. We would be so aware of that that it would transform us and compel us into rejecting lies and doing good to those who are helpless and enduring hardship as a test from You. Trusting in Your sovereignty. Work this in us, Lord, so that whether we are young or old, we will be on this path, this way, this road of righteousness. 
And the day we're looking forward to is not a day where we're sitting around a table feasting with children and grandchildren. As good as that can be, Lord, the day that we're longing for is the day when you bestow on us a crown of righteousness and we feast at your table and we stand up from the meal and take our crowns and we throw them at your feet and say, you're the one who's worthy of all glory and honor and praise. Shape us now, Lord, through your Bible, by your Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.